Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Hi, this is Jenny Beth Gardner with the Transformational Education Network called 10.3, and you're listening to the Engaging Missions Radio Show. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show. I'm your host, Brian Ensminger, and I'm very thankful that you're here today. Our guest is sharing something that we've really only hinted at before on the show, and I wouldn't have even known to connect with him if it hadn't been for one of our regular listeners, David Bartholomew. So, David, thank you. Now on to Brian Thompson. First, and probably the most importantly to me, he spells his first name correctly, which is with a Y. But beyond that, he also teaches people how to tell Bible stories that change lives. He's part of an organization that recognizes that only a small percentage of the Earth's adults are truly functionally literate, and that we communicate more effectively and more persuasively when we tell stories. But that's all I'm going to share about that. I'm going to let Brian really put some flesh on this as we get into it. So, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian. It's uh, great to, to to be here. I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate the invitation. Oh, well, thank you. So I've given a little bit of an introduction as far as, you know, what orality or storytelling is, but can you maybe help us connect with you as a person, maybe share with us a little bit about your family and who you are? Yeah. Firstly, we'll talk about that, the why. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I just I couldn't help thinking of this. Uh, actually, um, I'm from Ireland, but I'm, and technically I is supposed to be the way we spell it over here. That's the Irish way of doing it. But uh-huh. my mother, being from Northern Ireland, who didn't have a, uh, a word or a letter of Irish language in her, was convinced, tried to convince my father that, that why was the, was the Irish way of doing it. So um, <laughs> I kind of uh, grew up that way. And of course, everyone, whenever I, I say my name is Brian and they have to write it down, they always spell it wrong. But oh, yeah. anyway, that's, uh, I am, I am why because my, because of my mother's insistence. There we are. That's great. <laughs> but I think just to, to sort of answer your question, I'm, um, I was I was born overseas. My dad was actually in the British Army, so I uh, was born in Germany, and we moved three weeks later, and oh, wow. <laughs> it's been the story of my life. Um, but uh, essentially, I grew up in a very kind of religious uh, setting, uh, more traditional than it was, uh, you know, anything uh, elaborate, um, in an Anglican setup. And uh, for my first 16 years, really never really connected with the gospel, never okay. really heard it. Um, and it wasn't until I went to boarding school in uh, the Republic of Ireland that I came into contact with 
uh, two people, or one person who actually led my best friend to Christ, and therefore it was two people who just uh, had discovered something that I thought was just radical mm -hmm. um, and amazing. Um, and as I heard it, I was sort of weighing up in my mind going, oh my goodness, if this is true, this is going to affect the rest of my life. Yeah. And so I thought, wow. Uh, I actually, what happened was for about two particular weeks before I actually said to, to the Lord that I wanted to give my life to him, um, I was weighing up the reality that if I am to believe this, I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life telling people about, about the gospel because no one knows. I thought that it was just these two and the church she went to, and that was it in the world. Oh. And we discovered this, you know, <laughs> New Testament thing, and that this message had just some come alive. You know, that was, it, was, it was naive, I understand, but it led me to a point of realizing, hey, I have got to, to, to give myself. So actually my commitment to Christ was also my commitment to mission. So that was basically how it, how it came about for me. So as you think about your, your life and your ministry, is there maybe a meaningful quote or a scripture that's really been foundational for what you do and how you do it? Um, that is a little hard because there are probably several. <laughs> yeah. Um, one is to do with the Lord himself, you know, whom have I in heaven but thee and being on earth. I, I, I desire nothing on earth but, but thee. Um, that's one sort of passage that it's, that's really struck with me. Um, out of all the beauty of which he's created and given us around us, that really there is nothing and no one who can compare, uh, yeah. not even my incredible wife and my incredible daughters can compare to, to that, that person in heaven. Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, that, that I press on to gain that prize. That's the uh, New Testament passage about you know, pressing on to, to, to towards the goal, yeah, um, and not letting other things sort of uh, come between. And I think that has been one of the things that I've. Those are the two things that I kind of bounce back and forth on. Okay, uh, in my life, yeah. So, so you mentioned uh, wife and a couple of daughters. Are they also involved in some kind of ministry with you? What does that look like? Uh, yes, um, they. The two, three of them, they grew up in the mission field. Only one was born in Ireland. The other two were born while we were working in in the Sahara. We were based in in Western Sahara. Okay. And uh, we had a house in the Canary Islands, which is just off the shore of Western Sahara. And uh, t the two youngest were born there. Uh, my wife, I met in the Dominican Republic. I used to be with uh, Youth of the Mission. I was with them with YWAM for 16 years okay. and helped start their uh, ministry. Basically, I was the founder of the work in uh, the Dominican Republic. And I met my wife there. And uh, we married. And then the next day, basically, having handed over the ministry to uh, the, the local folks there, I, I headed out overseas with my wife um, uh, to towards the, the Muslim world, and which is where we've, we were for about 11 years in particular. Wow. Okay. So as I'm thinking about maybe, it sounds like 27, maybe 30 years in ministry, um, th that doesn't come without its challenges. It, it's not all puppies and kittens and rainbows. Can you share with us maybe a time when you were facing a significant challenge and then also what God did in that time? Yeah, actually, it's been since January 1977 was when I first okay. went out. So it's more than more than 30, 35 or something. I That's more than that. Wow. Um, and it's it's uh, I I had an amazing opportunity. I, I was working with Operation Mobilization, 
in um, for four years. We were working in communist uh, Europe at the time, smuggling Bibles and so on. So I was involved in that ministry and also working in North Africa a little bit um, and received a call to, to work to reach out amongst Muslims and unreached peoples in particular. Um, and, you know, it sort of went through. I've, I've sort of been in various different places and met my wife. But it's also my girls at the moment. We're back home in Ireland. Uh, part of the thing what we're doing at the moment is we are here to, uh, to basically because I'm, I'm an only child and looking after my mother. Okay. And uh, as, as a family, we're doing that. And uh, we're here for her, as it were. Um, and uh, she's 91, just turned 91. <laughs> but uh, we're... Really, my girls are, uh, they've grown up, uh, one of them, the oldest is now 23, and she's just come back from two years working with uh, YWAM, Youth of the Mission, in Perth, in Australia. Okay. And uh, she was on a, 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 a ministry team down there, which was using cultural island dances and yeah. ministry to reach out to the to the lost. The island Breeze, it's called. Yeah, I, I actually know. Uh, she, uh, was, she was in that. I, I actually know Seth Brooks, who was part of that ministry. Huh? Uh, he comes from right. the church that I come from. That's that's a huge connection. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Anyway, enough about me. Keep going. Well, that's that's incredible. She yeah, well, she's she's just come back. She's okay. come back because she has to renew her visa and uh, she wants to sort of work on some support issues and then go back out again. Um, the middle child uh, is uh, 22 and she's about to head off to Amsterdam. We don't know when to join YWAM there. She's uh, got an open invitation to work with the Red Light Ministry team. Okay. Um, in the district, red light district, has a real heart for um, reaching and, and rescuing the, the traffic. Mm -hmm. um, the youngest is 19, has just finished um, what do you call mainline ordinary high school, basically, and is uh, planning to study fashion design in Milan, um, but is doing a year out at the moment, part of which is working a job, and the other part is going to be an internship in the States. So. So it's a little bit, uh, we're a little bit spread out, but amazed that we're all here at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so as I'm thinking about this, you shared that you were part of that group that I heard about in the 80s that was smuggling Bibles into into communist areas. Is that, is that pretty accurate? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, every single, we went into every single um, uh, satellite country of the, of the Soviet Union and, and all the, the communist Europe. Yeah, every single one. That that doesn't. Uh, I, I never expected to have somebody on the line that had done that. That's so. <laughs> if I could just be a little bit selfish for a second, you know, that to yeah. me sounds really scary. But I, I suspect that God moved in and through that. Can you share with us kind of what maybe a little bit about what God did in that time? I think I was young enough to be <laughs> more, how would I call it, more zealous than with knowledge. So if I kind of <laughs> knew a bit more, I might have taken, I might have done it so so uh, enthusiastically. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was an incredible time, I think for me, um, having come out of, I'm sorry, I'm going back to it, but just to give you a perspective yeah. on it in school, I had, uh, been saved from uh, an occult background, okay. uh, exploring, I was exploring for, you know, the meaning for life and, and you know, why we're here, who's in charge of the thing. Um, and I'd been put off the church, so I thought, well, I'll check out the enemy. That's kind of why I thought about it. <laughs> and uh, went into the occult um, and got nastily snared up in that. But I, through my conversion and the, the, the year that followed that, I experienced some incredible uh, deliverance 
um, and the reality of seeing God's power at work. And we just saw God touching lives, miracles happening in the school. You know, a lot of people in the school came to Christ. A real move happened. Uh, we actually planted, uh, you know, the closest thing you can do to, to calling it a church in the school, uh, which went on for about 15 years, even after I left. Oh. Um, so it was it was a very significant time. But so when I went to work in Eastern Europe and in Communist Europe, we began to see the same thing happening again, God moving in power. Um, and it really was exciting to me. I'd had that sort of dormant period of being at Bible college and kind of learning that these things don't happen today. Right. <laughs> and kind of going, but wait a minute, that's how I came to Christ. And then suddenly going into um, a mission where we were just seeing the Lord you know, work um, and blinding eyes as we crossed borders, hmm. um, you know, causing things to happen, rescuing us when we got um, um, arrested. Uh, which we did on three. Uh, for me, I had um, three, yeah, three particular moments when I was arrested and sometime in, in jail as well. <laughs> but he rescued us uh, from those times and just seeing his his power at work. It was it was amazing. Do you have any personal habits, maybe something that you do on a regular basis that you believe contributes to what God's been able to do in your life? Um, the, the most important thing, I think, that has really kept me going and has, has helped steer me. And that's one thing I just, you know, I'm constantly needing to go back to is really uh, determining and deciding that no matter what the distraction, and especially in today's um, gadget around us, social media uh, concept, uh, I mean, environment, it's very easy to get distracted away from this. But it's getting time alone where I have uninterrupted communion time, checking in time with the Lord. I've, I've, mm. I've had a habit of doing it. I call it my morning, morning, noon, and evening watch. The okay. morning watch is the longest one. Um, you know, I, I like to try and spend an hour if I can. Um, really just in the Lord's presence, soaking, just get, deciding to go and set aside busyness and just get into His Word and get to the place where all the shouting in my brain is, is switched <laughs> off and I can hear Him. Uh, again, anew and afresh. That's, that's been vital for me. Um, and my wife and I, we've protected each other when the children were small. Um, we would protect each other, uh, so that, meaning that um, if she needed, I knew she needed to get her quiet time or her time alone with the Lord, her watch, as it were, then I would go in with the girls and be with them. And likewise, she would do the same for me. Okay. And she would explain, as I did to, to the girls, we'd explain now when mummy is in there or when daddy's in there, in this place, don't interrupt. That means he's having his time with God. And that was, that, so they grew up with that. So even to this day, they're still, even in their 20s, they kind of, when they know I'm in that room, they don't come in unless it's really important. And uh, they come in somewhat sheepishly, you know, <laughs> if, if they need to, to interrupt. So it's, but it, it's, it's a vital important thing that is I've really needed to it's it's not that I'm being spiritual or anything it's just I have needed this yeah to survive and to feel like I'm giving life in, in any given day to anyone else in, in conversation or anything I need to have that input with the Lord it, it's just I'm just I'm too much of a, a sinner and a troublemaker and a grumbler <laughs> to not have it and I need to have it so that's that's kind of it Oh, that's great. You know, I, I've really enjoyed getting to know you. I could probably keep doing this all day, but I, we do need to take a quick break so that we can shift our focus. And when we come sure. back, we'll move more toward the ministry. We'll do that. 
Take your leadership to the next level. It's time for the Engaging Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland of FX Missions. Hi, it's Scott McClelland. Recently, I tweeted that the only thing harder than the preparation for responsibility is the actual assignment. And uh, I don't know, I want to expand a little bit on that here. Um, when we're in the process of preparation, often we think that so much of it is unnecessary and we know what we want to do, so why don't we just get on with that, the main thing. And, uh, you know, I understand that is is uh, normal and natural and it shouldn't be uh, seen as a, uh, a big negative. Anytime we encounter pain in the process of preparation, we'll be tempted to, you know, ask ourselves, is this worth it? But we also need to realize that if we're weary in the process of making ready, uh, what will we do when the final responsibility for the outcomes settle in on us? Basic training in the military could be boiled down to one idea. You are learning how to continue thinking after the explosions begin. And I think a lot of times when we're in the process of preparation, we overlook that fact. The more realistic our training and preparation is, the better we are likely to do when we are occupying the seat of responsibility. I want to encourage you, as you're thinking about and going through the process of preparation, I want to encourage you to, of course, count the cost, but not necessarily the cost of preparation at the moment, but look further to the horizon of responsibility and ask yourself, how prepared do I want to be? This is Scott McClellan with your Leadership Moment. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so on most social media outlets at FX Missions or at our website at www.fxmissions.com. Have a good one. This has been the Engaging Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland of FX Missions. If you have a leadership question, please send it to feedback at engagingmissions.com and visit fxmissions.com to connect with Scott and discover how you could be involved in short-term missions. All right, we are back with Brian Thompson. It's been, for me, great to get to know him and to hear a little bit about what God's done in his life, but now we're going to shift our focus more toward what God's doing right now. So, Brian, first off, I don't know that everybody who's listening even knows what orality or storytelling is, so can you share with us what's what's going on there? What is it? Orality. Well, I suppose it's... I heard one person who is a, a great friend of mine. He's actually since gone on to be the Lord. His name was Avery Willis. He was the president, founder of the uh, and coordinator for the International Orality Network, um, which is online. You can go to I think it's internationaloralitynetwork.com, but you can go to oral oralbible.net is is the other uh, pass um, other link. But um, he said that. Orality, it's, it's, it's like a glass wall, a barrier. Um, if you think of it, here you are, you are all fired up. You're called by God to go and go to the nations and cross the, those cultural barriers, and you're going to mm-hmm. go over and you're going to church plant. And so you focus on learning about how to crack cultural code and learn how to go cross-cultural. You learn how to church plant. You learn... 
you know, what is church? You learn all these things. You learn about how to learn a foreign language. You're ready to go, and you just run. You're going, okay, there it is, and I'm running outside uh, into, into this field, this mission field. And suddenly you go smack, and we've all had it. We smack into that French window that we didn't know was there. Mm-hmm. It's like you bounce off this thing, and you kind of go, oh, my goodness, what is that? And you, it sort of, for a moment, you're stunned. What is this? And in many ways, orality has really been that on the mission field. You've got people like my friend from a Southern Baptist who's fresh out of um, theological seminary into Southern California, uh, Southern Carolina. And he's reaching out, sent to this church, and he goes there and he's trying to, he's trying to figure out why these people aren't responding and doing their homework which involved a lot of writing and filling in forms and things. And he suddenly one day thought, right, uh, he got frustrated with them. And he says, okay. And he, he said, okay, we'll read around, you know. And then he saw them all laboring and struggling to read. And he went, oh, my goodness, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And I think this is the, it's that glass thing. You go, you don't see it necessarily, but then it's there. You kind of go, this is real. People do not want to read. It's not only people who can't read increasingly today, we're seeing people who just have no desire to read. If they can get the information uh, through some other means, usually audio or video, uh, then they will. And I have had people talk to me, uh, one particular student who is studying to her doctorate, for goodness sake, and she has been doing years in the university. And she said to me, it's just what you said, Brian. I'm just like that. Mm. She said, I I, I look at this and I go, why would I spend a, nearly a week in a huge tome on, one, on this subject that I want to learn about from one author rather than spend an hour and on YouTube and hear from 10 people on the same subject? Hmm. He said, you know, I, I'm like that. I want to draw in from so many, from so many different areas. I cannot just bury myself in, in one book for a long period of time. And that kind of reflects... People who can read, but prefer not to. And obviously that begs the question, you know, if we are reaching out to such people, uh, reaching out in this world, how do we tend to do it? If if we're trying to reach people for the lost, what are some of the methods we use? Tracts, Mm -hmm. books, you know, here, read this. Oh, you're interested in the gospel? Read this. Go, we give them homework. Go and read the book of John. Go and read this or whatever. And then, you know, then later, if they want to grow in Christ, if you want to become a good disciple, how do we do it? Well, we need to read. We need to write. We need to do these different uh, books, uh, studies, and so on. And that's, that's the question. If you have most of the world who either can't or don't want to read, and that's the way we're trying to reach, it, reach them, then maybe we've got a problem. And is that really the, the way to do it? And that's, that's the foundational question. Yeah. Um, is this what, what God wanted at the beginning, you know, that we would learn how to read and write so we could, could know more about him? Or did we learn another way? Does the Bible do it? How did Jesus do it? Uh, those are kind of questions we need to ask as we think about making uh, disciples of the lost. And that's, that's kind of the heart of, of this whole thing of orality. Yeah, so how does, how does it work then? I mean, when you think about orality... Obviously, people are wanting to learn in, you know, auditorially or visually or something other than reading. So is it a situation where you're constantly telling people the Bible or what, what does it look like? I mean, orality comes in many different forms. And I think in, okay. in, the, in the network, 
Um, it's, it's basically non-print ways of communicating. So that can be through stories. Uh, that tends to be the, the, the most prominent one. I mean, we're wired for stories. God has made us that way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we respond to that. You know, I mean, how many of us have been sitting? And I've actually seen a girl who was actually pr pretty much fast asleep in a lecture until the lecturer said, that reminds me of a story. And she came wide awake, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right at that moment. And it was sort of a picture of, of, of a lot of people in this age. Their eyes just glaze over uh, because of, you know, non-story or non-print uh, way, uh, you know, ways of, of, of uh, sorry, print ways of, mo of communicating, literate ways of communicating. And so I think... One of the things that, to, to me, is as people have, have, as we struggle to reach, to think about this, we have to consider how do we present the gospel in a way that doesn't necessarily involve print, um, and not necessarily, and, and also disciple others, but in a way that doesn't mean print. It doesn't mean that we don't use print, but because uh, there'll be plenty of people who want the print, mm -hmm. but there are, uh, they are a vast minority. I'm talking you know, 10 to 15 percent of the world is that they are the way they learn is through print. But the good thing about that is those 10 to 15 percent can also learn through stories. Mm -hmm. So when we're reaching the 75 or 80 percent, it's OK, um, you know, or 85 or whatever. You know, those the, the 85 percent of this world who desire not to use print when we're reaching them with stories or drama, or mm -hmm. dance in some cases, you know, using right. dance in some kind of interpretive dance and so on. That's what my daughter was doing in, in, in Australia. You know, when we're using those kind of means um, and, and using films and so forth, creating stories through films, and because that's, that's the, the, you know, the, it's just having a tremendous impact on people's lives. And I think that is something we must consider. The vital thing for me, and maybe I can, we can, if we're going to get into it a, a little bit later, but one of the most beautiful things to me is not just telling the story from the Bible accurately and in an engaging way, which is mm -hmm. what we want to do, but then leading them in discussion, leading people in open questions uh, to discover for themselves truths that are in that, that, that passage. And I have so many fun and wonderful stories of seeing people who are actually from many different religious backgrounds all in the same room, hearing a Bible story and e eagerly discussing it, uh, even though it's not their own, uh, their own religion. And it's, it's been fun. Wow, that, that's, that's really interesting. How did God lead you to doing this? I think he led me a little bit through the School of Hard Knocks. Um, okay. Uh, it was uh, it's my first trip into... Um, West Africa, we actually went across the desert from uh, Tunis in the north, right down through Tunisia, through Algeria, and into Niger. And halfway down Niger, right through into the, the Sahel or the bush area. And when we were there, we, because of the type of team we were, we were, you know, we were told, you know, we were, we were given 1,000 ton, uh, you know, or basically, sorry, not 1,000 ton. We had a ton of literature on this um, on this vehicle okay. that we had, and uh, we went across the desert, struggled across the desert to get this ton of literature into this this country. Uh, and in this village that we were in, small town we were in, there we were, with the instructions essentially as we sell these books, so we are able to eat. <laughs> so I mean, guess what our motivation was. But I mean, that's kind of, as we did this, and then as we came into contact with people, I began to see, you know, 
I can have these debates with these people who follow a different religion as I was doing, and yet I would see if I won the debate, I didn't win the friendship. I mean, they, they sort of shamed as we, you know, they shamed and, and headed away. Yeah. Um, I lost them. And if, of course, if they lost, the, if they won the debate, then we didn't lead them to Christ either. Right. So I began to see this and I'm going, wow, this is hard. And then the next year in Senegal, I met the same thing uh, on another outreach. Uh, you know, even when we had these tea debates where we would have great fun debating the things of Christ with a group of people who came to hear and to, to debate with us. But again, the same thing. If we won the debate, they shamed and left. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't stay and we didn't win them. Um, but as I began to see by mistake, <laughs> when I told different Bible stories, um, in the desert or on a ship one time to a group of pastors, we began to see incredible things happen, miracles happen, people beginning to come to Christ, a tremendous interest in what the content was all about. And this whole debate thing was gone. Um, we had this open channels of communication, even though we're representing and presenting a message through the stories and through the discussion that was actually opposite or foreign or against what they stood for, they were well able and well and happy enough to discuss it. And it was really amazing for me. So if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, wow, that's really interesting. How can I get started? Is there maybe one Bible story that you'd recommend that people get connected with and get familiar with? That's a, that's a good one. We, we, when we're doing our, our training, we actually tend to use a, uh, a Bible story. There's the last five verses in, in um, Luke's gospel. And uh, we'll quite often, we'll tell it because it's, it's the story of Mary and Martha coming into the house of Jesus. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, where Martha gets really overloaded with the work, she, the distraction of the work she's, she's taken on. And it's a very simple story. Everyone knows that story. But once we start to explore that story with questions, people sort of, uh, you know, open up. Um, for instance, let me, let me just yeah, give you an idea. So we, yeah. we, we're, we're, we would say Jesus occasionally went off on his own um, or he would take one or two people with him. But usually he would stay with him by himself uh, with, uh, sorry, with the group of, of disciples would be with him at all times. And in this particular story, he is, he's invited into the house by this woman called Martha, who had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet. And uh, she was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his word. And, and this, this is the, the part that sort of stood out for me, was that Martha, she was, you know, she was distracted with, with and weighed down with so much service that she sort of came to Jesus and, and said to him, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. You know, and the story goes on to say that Jesus turns to her and said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and concerned about so many things, but only one thing's necessary, and Mary has to chosen that good part, and it's not going to be taken away from her. And I think the thing that stood out to me in this was, you know, the, the, what was going on at the time. Okay, so Jesus is there with his disciples, and Mary's sitting at his feet listening to his word. So when Martha comes along with her problem, what is Jesus doing? That's a question. Oh, uh, <laughs> probably <laughs> teaching, hanging out. Yeah, he's teaching. So when she comes in and says, Lord, don't you care 
that my sister's left me to serve alone. What, what essentially is she doing to, to this situation in there? What's going on? What's she doing? Um, I mean, she's definitely broken up the moment. She's definitely interrupted the teaching. Right. Okay. So I'm just wondering if there was anything else you would think she might have been able to do if she had, you know, she's got this concern and she's, you know, got a lot of service. I mean, could she have done something else? Yeah, I mean, looking back on it, we could certainly say, well, maybe she could have um, allowed more time for things to get done. She maybe could have decided to do fewer things. Right. Um, Okay. I'm not sure what other things she could have done. Right. Well, when you see her, you know, responding this way, I mean, do you think it's a good good thing the way what she's doing when when she decides to respond this way? Okay. And that I wouldn't think it. I wouldn't think that. Right. So what, what do you think it shows us about her that she did respond this way? I mean, it, de- it definitely seems like she had some expectation for, uh, for Mary that wasn't being fulfilled. And right. it feels like maybe she has a bit of a, a martyr complex is what we'd probably call it now. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm just sort of, I'm, when I see this, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, to, in this situation today, do we see situations where we, like Mary, maybe want to serve Jesus and it sort of comes a little too much to us, upon us? And then we turn around and say, God, don't you care? Does that sort of thing happen today? Um, I, I would assume it does. Uh, certainly, certainly in my own life, I can point to times where I feel like I'm doing something for him rather than with him. Oh wow, that's a good, that's a great, great line. Yeah, so so I'm just wondering, what do you think this story might show to us? Especially when it goes on, and it says that Jesus, you know, says that there's only one thing that's necessary, and Mary's chosen that that good part. What, what do you think this story might show to us that would help us say in the future if we are feeling like we're too loaded down with stuff? I mean, looking back, honestly, on years of of people teaching me this, I would, <laughs> I have maybe an unfair advantage or disadvantage depending on your perspective. I, I would say that it's to focus less on the stuff and more on him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that I mean, that gives you a little bit of a, a kind of a. I mean, that's just a taste. I mean, in yeah. and out a little bit, but uh, of what we we try to do. But essentially, you, we can see this. Uh, you know, as a style, when we're reaching out, people um, are touched by stories like that, especially some of the ones that are that are very familiar. Um, I think in some ways, I would suggest if someone is coming new to this, which is sort of part of the original question, I would mm-hmm. say uh, as well, if you're used to reading the story, reading the, the, the scripture a lot, um, I would just also suggest to take some time to get alone and maybe hear it. You know, version has the ability to, to play that passage back, so you can actually select a bit and then it, it'll actually play it to you. Uh-huh. Um, and just close your eyes and don't follow it. Don't follow the words. Just hear it. Listen to it for a bit, um, and it may surprise you how that scripture that might be fresh or might be very familiar to you becomes to you in, in, a, in a new and a fresh way. And I think that perhaps is, I would say, if, if people are struggling with their quiet times or struggling with reading, um, then take some time to listen to the Word, and it, it will be surprising to you. You know, it's interesting that you had mentioned that um, before before our call this morning, I was actually doing my morning time with in in the Word, and I actually used the U version Bible, and I listened to it, although I actually listen and read 
but at the same time, because I find that if I only listen, my mind wanders very badly. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's okay. a challenge for me. But yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I'm definitely a lover of the U version Bible. I, I really appreciate that. Um, ordinarily, at this time, we would go ahead and take a break. But if you're okay, I'd like to just kind of press on and continue yeah. in our conversation. Sure. And I, I guess maybe just one question to to kind of round out the section on orality in the ministry. As you think about what you do in your life and in your ministry, what is it that fuels your passion? Because this is not always easy. Yeah, um, it, it can be a challenge. I think one of the things that I've always found hard actually is has been, and it's really strange speaking as a missionary, is sharing my faith. Okay. Um, and one of the things that storytelling essentially and orality has done for me is really unlocked a real excitement and a fun way um, and a natural way to share my faith. I've always felt like in the past, all those methods that I learned, all those different evangelism uh, sessions and training things about do this and do that and do the other, it wasn't me. It was I was being someone else when I was doing that. I, I was believing the message, but somehow I just it was very false. Uh, it, it was coming across in a way that was like not really Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found through the storytelling, I find myself falling into it all the time now. I mean, I'm sitting in Starbucks. I mean, I, this has happened to me on several occasions. I'm just sitting in Starbucks, getting a little time alone, doing some email, and someone comes in and sits opposite me. I start a conversation or they start a conversation. We get into a conversation. We're joined by more people. Uh, it gets into a story, a Bible story. We discuss it. More people come along. Um, and you know, I've had incidents and one, but the memorable one where I sat down and a, a girl was sitting opposite me and I asked her what book she was reading and it got into a conversation that led into a Bible story. She was joined by four other people and then by some more people. And pretty soon we had about 12 people there listening <laughs> to this Bible story and discussing it. And then there was this, because Starbucks was busy at that time, there was this big long line of people right behind us who were sort of walking slowly and listening to the story and, listen, and craning their necks to get it, to get to in. And we, at one point, we had 25 people who were listening to a Bible story in Starbucks in a, in a setting that was not planned. Yeah. Um, and it just started with a natural step into the story. And I think this is, to me, um, is, is the passion for me. Um, is that it's actually made it easier. I find it very, uh, find it fun. Um, I've seen the Lord do very unexpected things. Um, for years, I've been involved in mission work, and occasionally we've seen miracles. But now I am seeing the Lord just do miracles. Uh, people are crying. People are responding to the word. Uh, you know, we've seen healings. We've seen demons cast out. All kinds of stuff going on. Just as we have. Uh, shared the Bible stories, and many of them, uh, phenomenal things happening, uh, including, you know, and not only just, uh, you know, in, in those countries away far from home, but right here at home where you tend not to see miracles, quote unquote, yeah. God is doing miracles through Bible stories. And it, it's just, it's exciting. I mean, he just is on his word. His Holy Spirit is just on his word. Mm. And I, I just never knew you could do this. Have fun. I mean, telling stories. I love telling stories. So. <laughs> <laughs> so if some of the people listening are intrigued by what you've shared and maybe want to start moving into storytelling, how would you recommend they get started? Is there some place they should go or something they should do? 
Yeah, I mean, if I can sort of be a, put a shameless plug in here. Please do. <laughs> um, a couple of them. Basically, one of them is, is uh, storyforall.com. That's, that's um, story with the number four, all, A-L-L, dot com. That's, uh, that's a, um, it's a website. I'm, I'm trying to get web responsive uh, design in there, but I haven't been able to, to, to get anyone to help me with it, and I don't have funding for it. Mm. But it's basically a podcast that has been around since May 2006. Uh, every week we have a show that encourages the body of Christ to use oral communication to reach the lost. That's one thing if people are interested, they want to hear about many different ways that, the, that, uh, that you can share the gospel orally. Uh, that would be a, a good thing to check out. Okay. But if people are interested in taking it a little further, I would suggest get training. Check out simplythestory.org. Um, uh, the God story as well. Uh, the, 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 there's a, um, a, a particular film that's out there that's 80 minutes long. It's an overview of the Bible. God is really using it to bring people to Christ and, and churches are being started in countries where, you know, missionaries have said that's too hard a ground. Um, and we're seeing tremendous response. But simply the story.org is a place where you can go. You can learn about how to do this. You can download. Um, a manual, a handbook, as it were, that teaches you. You can watch different videos. You can listen to different things that are on there um, of demonstrations of storytelling with discussion. And as, as well, you can find out where the, uh, where the training events are happening in a country or a state or a town near you. And if they're not on the website, you can write to the, to the people on the Contact Us page And because we don't publish everything because we are in a lot of closed countries. Um, but if you're interested, uh, you may be surprised to know that that, that there are uh, trainings right there in some of, in lots of closed countries um, where we can bring it, and we're eager to bring it to people who can gather six people or more. Mm. Uh, we would be delighted to bring a training there. So it's it's and it's a very practical training on teaching you how to share the the gospel through story and discussion. Well, that's that's great, and your your podcast story for all. That's I'm assuming that's in iTunes and other places where people yes. check out podcasts. Okay. Yeah, if you go to the iTunes directory and and put in story the number four A L L all one word and uh-huh. search in the iTunes store, you'll it'll it'll come up. Okay, yeah. So for those who are listening, I would like to challenge you if you're starting to connect with this and you aren't already subscribed to the Story for All podcast, you whip out your iPhone or your iPad and head over to the iTunes store and subscribe. Maybe if you like it, leave them a rating and review, but, you know, get connected to what God's doing and to what they're sharing. Uh, while we were talking, I actually subscribed and I'm going to be checking that out in the future. So I'm loving what technology can do. Um, Amen. Brian, I, you know, there's a lot more questions I'd like to ask you, but we're kind of getting close to the end of the time that we had allotted. Is there maybe one more thing that you'd like to share with people before we go? Um, I just... I think the thing that's a really a heartbeat is I want to encourage people to realize that, you know, the, the, the last words Jesus gave us was to go, mm-hmm. go into all the world and make disciples of the nations. Um, he, he didn't say, you know, to go and create something so people could come. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think a lot of our evangelistic ways of reaching out is come. We expect people to come to our meetings where we will present a gospel or where we will, you know, come to this Bible study where we will present to you. Um, And I think, you know, Jesus went out, he went and he found that woman 
of by the well in Samaria. Mm -hmm. He went to you know different situations on the streets and went to different places like Zacchaeus's home. He went to the the non-church settings, and I I think you know we know that. But you know the way it's back to that glass barrier again. You know we're forgetting something here. We're going. We're still going to people and requiring that if they want to know more about God, you've got to know how to read and write. You've got to sit through a sermon um, and not interact with that sermon, um, a gospel message as such. Um, and my appeal to everyone who's listening would be: you know, if most of the world, which is factually shown in Western nations like the United States, they have they've done. Surveys that are over a decade of difference between the, between them, and they are showing that the vast majority of people, even in the states in and in educated Western settings, people are not reading like they used to, and they are getting their information and they're getting their news and their stuff, uh, learning stuff and communicating stuff uh, through non-print ways. And I am just saying, folks, if we're reaching out. Let's do it in the preference of the, of our audience. Let's not require them to come across to read and write or to learn that way. Let's go to them. Let's let's be the ones who are uncomfortable to take the gospel to those uh, who need to hear it, rather than make them uncomfortable to hear it in our context in the way we do it. And I think that's that's the big thing. We are called to go to the nations. So let's go with a message in a way that the majority of the world will want to hear it. Or appreciate hearing it, and also will understand it because most people don't understand it if it comes in a preference that they don't have. Yeah, definitely. And if if somebody wanted to connect with you, is where would you recommend they go, or how how would you recommend they can contact you? Um, yep, they can contact me through Story for All if they want. Uh, they can write to story at storyforall.com or go to the storyforall.com page and anywhere on the contact us page, they can fill in the thing there that comes straight to me. Okay. Um, or BT, uh, Brian Thompson, BT, at this, if, they, if they remember this easier, BT at simplythestory.org. Okay. That's another one. So BT at simplythestory.org. Good deal. Um, yeah. All right. And for those of you listening, if you're driving to work right now or you're working out and you can't write all that down, just stop by the show notes page, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Brian Thompson. That's Brian with a Y. So Brian Thompson. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for being with us today. This has truly been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Brian. For, I really appreciate you, you uh, inviting me and, and uh, just uh, t- taking me on here. I just appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. You know, one thing for me was uh, my wife and I, we're uh, missionaries in Cambodia and we're on 100% support. Uh, like we raise all our funds and I think I started out my working career in, as, as working in a bank in New Zealand. And when you work in a bank, your life is about money, isn't it? Like you're dealing with money, you're working with other people's money, you're worried about your own money, you're, you're earning salary or whatever it is. And I was a whippersnapping 18-year-old straight out of school. So my culture became money. And then I really felt the Lord call me into, I guess you could say ministry, like working as a youth pastor or whatever. That's what I did before I moved here. And... Uh, it, it was like this it was like this crisis I had where my life was like all about money and then I was feeling the Lord call me in one direction but my life was pulling me in another direction and I had this massive like 
collision moment where I had to really say, okay, I got to give it all up. I got to take the salary cut. I got to do everything in order to be able to follow where the Lord's calling me. And it was one of the biggest decisions I ever made in my life. And it, and it was ruthless. But you know, the funniest thing is, is now I earn no, like, you know, I don't earn any money. People give me money. Like, do you know what I mean? So it's this like crazy kind of like, I had this like meltdown moment. I mean, I was in tears on the bedroom floor. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and little did I know that it was the preparation that the Lord was moving me into this idea where actually you're not going to earn any money. You're not earning any money. It's people giving you the money, right? Uh, you're going to live by faith. You're going to live by the idea that you got to believe in what you're doing in order to ask people enough to give you the money to support you to do the work that I'm calling you to do. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this, along with show notes, by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.